You may be seated. Once again, we have the privilege and the honor to have Pastor Lukey here to deliver the message today. Pastor Lukey. All right. Guess you're wondering about that chair. <laughs> when Pastor asked me to fill in for him on the 28th, I look forward to it. I haven't done that for a while. It's good to be eyeballing, to eyeball with you folks on the Word and things we're going to find as anticipated this day. But then, about a week or 10 days ago, I was going to bed. And just as I was getting into bed, the world, the whole world started to spin. It spun like crazy, like it's out of, out of control in some amusement park. And then it seemed like the house was spinning. And then my bedroom was spinning. Then my bed was spinning. I mean, I had lost totally control. And uh, I wondered, what, what, what's going on? I had not experienced anything like this before. Have any of you? Now, of course, the world did not spin, nor my bedroom, nor the bed. Something in my head went spinning. Now, when I saw the doctor, he told me, well, if I take a certain medicine and do certain exercises, I should be able to get, be, live a pretty normal life, including this service, by the 28th. He was partly right. <laughs> I mean, I'm here standing, and I'm going to do a sermon, but I'm not 100%. My head is still spinning, and I've got to get in that chair, and I'm not sure uh, well, I'll make it. <laughs> but... Um, uh, God is good, and I got through the first service. Yeah. I tell you, when I'm sitting on a chair, I'm not going to fall. You know, you don't fall off a chair. At least I don't. But I could fall standing here, going up those stairs, getting to the chair. So um, that's why the chair is there. And if you don't mind, you get to sit. It's only fair I get to sit. Don't you think? <laughs> it's good to be back again. Uh, it's been a long time since I've uh, spoken here, and uh, many of you I don't know at all. Some of you I do, but uh, I'd like to get to know the ones I don't know. And it's sure good to, get, to see again people who I've known years and years ago. You're going to help me? Yes, sir. All right. I think that'd be good. Yeah. Uh, whoa, whoa. Gotcha. I want to go backwards sometimes or forwards. All right. Thank you. I did. Yeah. Okay, I want you to answer a question, at least for yourself. I would imagine it's a question you've already asked yourself or dealt with some way or another. God, when he created the world, he said it was good each day by day. And, uh, and now here we are in the middle of a pandemic like some of us have never experienced before uncertain about what comes tomorrow, uncertain about what comes to ourselves, our body, our health, our finances, whether we get enough to eat, what happens to our world? Now, the question I want you to deal with is, who caused this? Who do you blame for this? Who's at fault? How do you do that? Do you find anybody's at fault? Right? Does God do that? 
Would God send a pandemic like this? Can you blame God for it? If so, do you ever get angry at God? You ever complain to God? Does God have a complaint department that you can complain God isn't doing it right? I think particularly in this pandemic, he needs a better complaint department or maybe a better intelligence system. What he did is he put us all on the edge of our seat and then he kicked us out of our churches. Does that make sense that God would do that? What God is doing is trying to gather us to himself, to his home and family, and to each other in one community of faith, communion of faith, in which we share with life of God forever. But God does a, 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 a pandemic that actually takes us out of the church. Does that make sense? Now, there's different answers people give about why God would do something like this, or how it comes about with a good God. Now, I think many people would say, well, God didn't do it, people do it. It's our fault. It's what we do that brings us upon ourselves. And I guess you could say that, but God could still prevent it. God is still in control. We lift up to him our needs. Why doesn't he stop it? Why does he allow it? If he's a good, caring, forgiving, gracious God, he wouldn't let this happen, would he? And he wouldn't take us out of the church while we're dealing with it, or would he? Now, maybe you could say, well, God didn't do it. Satan did it. Or many people say there is. It just proves there is no God. Well, you could say that, except when I was a kid, like a lot of kids, I dealt with Jonah. No, <laughs> Noah. Oh, my biggest tired. Noah and the ark. And I wondered about that even then. Oh, as a kid, I had a story worked up. God comes to Noah and says, you've got a nice long driveway here from the road all the way to your garage, nice flat cement area. I want you to build an ark, all right? Well, Noah wonders, what's an ark? Oh, it's a big boat, God says, very long, many cubits long, many cubits wide, many cubits high, big enough to take your family and all those animals, and it's got to be big enough to do that. I'll give you the exact dimensions when it's time to start building. And Noah starts to think about this. What's his neighbors going to think about him building this big boat? God, it's, it's, it's 100 miles to the nearest water. How am I going to float that boat? Why would we want a boat in this remote place? And then as a kid, I'm thinking, look at the driveway here where you want this boat. There's the kids' tricycles and their wagon and their toys. It's all scattered with stuff. And they have playmates. What happens to my, ki my kids' playmates? What happens to my neighbors? Can you do this, what I think you're talking about doing? What would you do? Would you argue with God on that point? God says, I'll take care of that. And he proceeds. And Noah, to the laughter and ridicule of his neighbors, builds his boat. 
Now, if we follow the story of the scripture on to the history of the world, we find that there are many, many pandemics of sorts. There are the slave times of slavery in Egypt. There's a long wisp wandering in the wilderness. When they finally do make it in the promised land, they're taken captive by the thousands to Babylon and to Assyria, and the pandemics go on. Maybe some of us don't really think so much about what happened in Bible times. Maybe we think more about what happens in our time. A student, that, uh, a fellow student, when I was going to school in a seminary in Chicago, decided to leave the ministry. He said, in the, it was after this first, uh, the First World War, six million people were killed in that war, or maybe more. People were ousted out of their beds and out of their homes, lose all their possessions, put in boxcars, taken to a concentration camp, put in gas chambers. Now, I'll tell you, he would say, if there is a God, God would not allow that to happen. Would you agree with that? How do you respond to that? So therefore, that's one answer to the problem of evil in the world. God is not there to stop it. Some would think God is not powerful enough to stop it. Some would say men just brought it all on themselves. They deserved it. But it doesn't seem to add up that way. How would you explain how there can be a gracious, good, strong, almighty God who can do all things, and there's gross, painful suffering, seemingly innocent suffering, in the world. Not too long ago, a rabbi wrote a book called Why Do Good People Suffer? It's so big. Would you read that book? Or would you write one of your own? How do you explain how a gracious God who can prevent suffering allows it to happen? Even sort of is behind it. How do you deal with that? Now, I think it pays for me to get to the high, the mystery of God, you need three words that start with an L. Starting with an L may help you remember them. Two of them go start at creation, and one goes to a promise at creation. The first was light. The second is life. And the third one is love. And of those three, at some place or another, the Bible says that's what God is. God is light. He is life. God is love. Light can be understood as enlightenment as well as a special kind of light. Now, let me ask you. You all look like good Bible scholars, right? What did God create on the first day? Anybody know? Ah. Well, we got to give it a Bible study. What did God create on the fourth day? Oh, all right, I'll tell you. On the first day, God created light. On the fourth day, God created light. Right? Now, why would God do that? Except it's different. The first day, we are told God creates light. On the fourth day, we are told God creates a sun and a moon and stars, the heavenly beings. So there's a different light. There's a light there. Now, why would God create light twice? I think because there's 
not the same kind of light. One is a light that God is. Matter of fact, the Bible tells us when we get to heaven, we will have no sun and no moon. In heaven, our light is God. God himself is our light. And his light is within us. His God is in us. So the light shines from God. And we can do what human life enjoys and delights in the most. We can love and enjoy God. Let me tell you something. If you don't enjoy God, now many people think that's a strange idea. God is a judge, kind of scary, all-powerful. But I'll tell you something. If you cannot enjoy God, you will not enjoy heaven. Think about that. That's the light of God is what heaven's about. Loving and enjoying God is the best that, you, that God has to give human life. And if you don't like it, it's kind of too bad. It goes on forever. So God has another kind of light. I tell you, I, I've already, already said what I want to say. There are maybe two kinds of light, first day light and fourth day light. I think first day light, first day of creation, first day light is a light that's in God, is the nature of God, is what God is. It's God's eliminating himself into a world. It's a special kind of light. You know, mostly light like right here shines on you. God's light, the light that God is, doesn't shine on you only. It shines through you. It shines through everything. It penetrates everything. The fourth day light is a light that shines on us. Now, the thing about light that shines on you is you can hide from it. You get behind something, get in the shadow, shadow, turn off the light. But a light that shines through you, I mean through your thoughts, we each have a stream of consciousness that's inside of us that makes us low and want and be who the person we are. Knows, God knows our thoughts all about us. It's a light that shines through us. Have you read or heard about books that talk about a near-death experience? You know what that is? A number of people have written it and had that experience. They talk about, well, for example, a person's on an operating table, and the surgery's made not going well, and the person loses vital signs. It seems like his body's not functioning alive, and maybe they... The doctor and nurses are kind of panicky. But to the person who's being operated on, he senses himself moving away, maybe up on the balcony where people watch a surgery and watch the doctors and nurses and sees himself on the table. Now, you could, if you talk to that person, you could find out what heaven is like, couldn't you? Because he's experienced what it's like after death. And they do write about that. Most of them, when they write what it's like after death, they describe it as a light, a magnificent light, a, a, a healing light, a gracious light, a forgiving light, a light that satisfies every yearning or thought or idea. It's God, it's God in light form coming to us with his very best gifts. Those people don't want to go back to that operating table. They don't want to go back to life at all. They like that life that's in the presence of that light. 
And that seems like the light that maybe God, first daylight, the light that God shines in us through us and enriches our lives. While people on fourth daylight, the light shines on them. And they can hide from that light. And John says the tragedy of our world is that God shines his light and people prefer, prefer darkness to the light because their deeds are evil. And they, when they have the near-death experience and they experience the light, they panic. It, shines, it exposes everything, everything they wanted to hide from people, even from themselves or from God. Everything is exposed, and it's a horrible experience. They want to go back again where they can hide. So there's different kinds of light. And in that panic like this, coronavirus, we think it, it seems horrible, but somehow maybe God brings the people into the light where they can be with the light and find joy and healing from God's light so that they can, they, the darkness will no longer frighten them. They will have conquered the darkness. Second thing is to think about life. Earlier on in creation, God creates life. Every plant out there, every tree, every bush, every animal, every insect, it has life, a mystical, mystical thing. Science cannot produce even the most simple kind of life. It's God's tradition and God's gift and what God is. Now, God comes with life, and he creates life. But when he creates life that you see out there, all around us, he does not create human life. Human life is different. Human life is created later, or toward the end of his creation process. And he doesn't say, let there be. He forms human beings out of the dust of the ground. And human life becomes a living soul, a living kind of being, and, uh, and, and, uh, and can, it has a quality in them that the animals and plant life do not have. You have a dog, you like your dog, let me tell you, your dog may be a wonderful, faithful creature, but some things your dog can never do. Your dog will never decide if life has a meaning. Don't worry about that. Your dog will never decide, is there a God? Never will. Not because he's not spiritual, but because he doesn't have that quality, that quality of life that God gives. You know how God gives life to human beings? He forms them, as we said, and then he breathes into them. It's breath, it's wind of the spirit that enters our life. I meditate pretty much every day, and I pay attention, as the books say you should when you meditate, to breathing. Breathing right at the present, keeps you in the present moment in a good way. But, it's, but I think also the breath. When I inhale in my meditation, I'm not only inhaling oxygen that makes my body survive, I'm inhaling some spirit that makes my soul survive. Body and soul, God keeps me going. And so we look for more life. And life's the victory of life, and God gives it to us in his son, Jesus Christ. Which brings us to uh, the third L, which is love. We say that God died for us. 
when did God die? It seems like a silly question. At what moment did God die? Did he die at a certain point in time? When did he die? Did he die when he's first nailed to the cross? Did he die when he was buried? When did he die? When does a person die? Dying itself is not such a terrible thing. Christ died for us, but it's not always that bad. When my sister-in-law died, we were in a hospital room, and um, the doctors were there and also a chaplain, and uh, they knew somehow that this was the time for her to pass. And so the chaplain got up close to her ear and said to her, Joan, you can go. You can let go. You can close your eyes. You don't have to fight anymore. You can go. And you know, she went. She died at that moment. Or at least that's when it seemed that her senses died. It would seem like that's when her cells and her body were no longer duplicating. Now, you could say she was dead. Do you think she felt a jolt, a jerk, a pain? Is there something painful about death? Was there something painful about the act of Jesus dying? You could say Jesus died when they pierced him with that sword to prove that he was dead, but that wasn't his time of death. From my point of view, Jesus came to die for us, and it was a, a whole experience. It involved that he planned it all very carefully. It involved the foot washing, the betrayal, the, re the, the rejection, the imprisonment, the captivity, his being jolted about like a common criminal, criminal made, fun of, made fun of, rejected by the religious uh, authorities of his time, mocked and ridiculed and tormented, taken before the civil authority who said publicly he was innocent but nonetheless contested, condemned him to crucifixion. But only after he made him so pitiful, he hoped people would feel sorry for him, but they didn't. All they could say was, crucify him. And even on the cross, it doesn't seem like he died right away on the cross. He took care of his mother, gave her to John. He took care of another thief on the cross. Verily I say to you, today you will be with me in the paradise. He took care of his soldiers who crucified him. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. That's not quite dying yet, is it? When did he die? It was maybe a quiet. And then the most anguishing words, I think, that were ever spoken out in, the, in our world was, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? I'm not saying that's the moment when his cells stopped to function, but I am saying that's when he had the sin of the world on his back. That when the, when the fullness of the darkness that, that comes without God's light was upon him, that's when he was in torment beyond description. That's when he was in hell for us. But he didn't die even then. Shortly thereafter, he said, it is finished. And then he said, Father, into your hands I commend my spirit. Then they proved him to be dead later. But his death process was, was something that took upon itself little by little the fullness of our sins. So 
Now we go back to who causes this, this pandemic. How, how does that happen? And we see the fact that God knew exactly what it was. He suffered all of it and more because of it. He took it upon himself that he might heal us and give us the best that he'd got to offer in the way of light and life and love. So we have the fullness of his love, the fullness of his light for his light, the fullness of his life for he gave it for us, the fullness of his oneness with him so that we live in his light, we live in his life, we live in his love forevermore. And though you might say that God, you wonder why God allows bad things to happen to people, but no more than he allowed to happen to himself in his love for us, that we might never hear those words, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? You know, when I was filling in before Tim came, I uh, did the preschool chapel. And uh, I used to have a kind of ritual I did with them. They were cute kids. And I would say, God, God is good. And I would teach them to say, all the time. You know about that one? All right. Or I would say, all the time. And they would say, God is good. And I think, well, maybe that's a good thing to say in the middle of a pandemic. When we don't know what's going to happen to us personally, to our world, to our loved ones, whatever. That's not a bad ritual to have. Think of the worst that can happen. And then in the midst of that, say these words. Let's do it. God is good. All the time. time. You can take that home. And you can live with it. And you can die with it. And you can go through many pandemic and do just fine. Because you know. You know. You know all the time. Ah, yes. (laughs) Thank you. I am the wobbly on my feet after I'm sitting. Then it's going, that's not so bad. I'll be fine. <laughs> Thank you, Pastor Lukey. Normally during this time, we would uh, collect our offerings.